and the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. But Jesus answered, let it be so for now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And behold, a voice from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Heavenly Father, we ask for the gift of your Holy Spirit to anoint this time, to inspire my words. We ask, Lord, that these men might come to understand that the most fruitful act of human beings is to be in relationship with you. In our country, it's all about work. But you show us it is more about loving you than working to earn your love. We pray through the intercession of Our Lady, who knew you better than anyone, as we pray together, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, I'm going to talk a little bit about prayer tonight, how to do it, a very simple acronym to follow, um, to help you guys come grow deeper. And I'm not, like a, a little disclaimer, I'm not saying you don't pray. <laughs> um, I think you guys do pray. I think that's part of the reason you're here, uh, is to learn how to go deeper. And so hopefully tonight can just add some insights uh, into that. So <clears throat> about, I don't know, four years ago, I became painfully aware of what's wrong with most uh, Catholics. And uh, it has to do with two stories in the Bible. Uh, and these two stories... In, uh, in the Bible, we, I think, tend to side with people that Jesus doesn't side with. And I think part of it is because we're Americans uh, and we work. We know how to work. We know how to get stuff done. Uh, and if we want to prove our worth, we work harder. Um, the more you have, uh, the more you do, uh, the better person you are. And uh, in the mind of God, I'm not sure that that's 100% accurate. Now, again, I don't want to get back and say to people that you shouldn't be working hard. Um, the Knights of Columbus did a phenomenal job today, uh, busting their butts, doing, you know, the KC breakfast, doing the painting of the lines. I was working today, you know, up in the school painting. Um, work is a good thing, but it's not the best thing. That's really important. It's not the best thing. And the two stories that I want to just briefly touch on are the prodigal son and Martha and Mary. The reason I want to touch on these two is because you have two uh, first-class Americans uh, in both of these uh, uh, stories, right? First, the prodigal son. Uh, if you don't side with the older son, something's wrong with you, right? You got the younger son. He's an idiot. He takes his, I mean, he essentially goes to his dad and says, Dad, I wish you were dead, right? Because that's what it means to get the inheritance. He wants his inheritance. <clears throat> and he takes the inheritance. He goes and blows it on, on sex, drugs, and rock and roll and uh, comes back with nothing, uh, a total loser. And what does the father do? He wraps him in his arms, he puts a cloak on him, puts a ring on his finger, slaughters the fattened calf because his son was dead and has returned to him. And the older son is like, what the hell, right? He's staying there and he's like, this is so unjust. This loser brother of mine took all of your money 
spent it on pure sin, and now he comes home and you slaughter the fattened calf for him? What about me? What, look at me. All I've done is I've, I've been, I have worked for you. I've followed every law you've given, every rule you've given. And you haven't even, I love that. He's like, you haven't even given me a goat. <laughs> Poor dude never got a goat. Like that's just, I was like, man, maybe you're asking for the wrong things, you know? <clears throat> but he, and, and the father says these words in this parable of the prodigal son. And this is not just anybody telling us this story. This is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the son of the living God, word made man, right? God in the flesh. He says, the father said to the older son, son, did you not know that everything I have is yours? And so what you have is you have this, this kid who's working, he's living in the father's house, but he doesn't know the father. He's following every rule, every law. He goes to Sunday mass. He works at the KC breakfast, but he doesn't know the father. And because he doesn't know the father, he doesn't realize all that's available to him. And again, I think that we have a lot in the Catholic church that live this way. They follow the rules. They're good rule followers. And again, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's a good thing, but it's not the best thing. The other story, Martha and Mary. You got Martha, you know, working her tail off, serving Jesus. And it's important to know that in that story, Martha never, or Jesus never says to Martha, Martha, you're doing the wrong thing. He never says that. So serving the Lord is a good thing. He just says, Martha, you're not doing the best thing. Mary's doing the best thing. And what's the best thing? Sitting at his feet, listening to him, being in absolute and ultimate communion with the Son of God. So the highest good, the greatest, the most fruitful thing that we can do in this world is to be in relationship with God. Now, I don't need hands raised or heads nodded. Or Do you feel like you know the Father? Do you feel like you have a deep connection, <clears throat> an intimate connection to the Father? <clears throat> Do you know Jesus? Do you talk to him? Or is your faith kind of set up on like, I follow these rules and I know they're good rules and I know they help me, but, do, but, but I don't know him. I always ask my, my high school kids, I'd say, how do you know that Jesus is real? <clears throat> and they're like, well, uh, you know, the Bible tells us. And I was like, that Bible could have been made up. You don't know. You know, people could have put those together. It's just, it could be a big fabrication. You know, I'm just, and then you're going to kid, well, history tells us. And we're like, okay, I know he's a real man. We know he exists in history. We don't know he's God. And they're like, well, he rose from the dead. And I'm like, really? Who told you that? The Bible. Well, we already talked about the Bible. And, you know, you get to the point where they're like, well, well how do you know? <laughs> right? They get so pissed. They're like, how do you know? <clears throat> and I'm like, because I've met him. I know him. I'm in communion with him. I talk to him. Now, just to be clear, when you talk this way, people think you're crazy. So I went, I, I did a 30-day silent retreat. And I got done with the 30-day silent retreat. And I did the absolute wrong thing. If you ever get a chance to do a 30-day silent retreat, don't ever do this. When I finished, the first thing I did is I went to a wedding dance. <clears throat> now imagine you're in silence for 30 straight days. Right? You are deep into silence. And about day 12, you feel like you're going to go insane. There was a point where I was like, I, I said, because you talk to your director for about 45 minutes. And I said to him, I was like, I feel like I'm going to lose my mind. Like, I just need to scream. 
And he's like, okay, you can do that. So I want you to drive out into the woods and I want you to look at a tree and I want you to scream at the tree. <laughs> and I'm like, what? He's like, I'm serious, do it. So I did it. And I, you feel like a complete idiot, you know? Like if anybody saw me screaming at this tree. But then I got done with that and I don't know, something just flipped. And I just, I mean, went real deep. And I'm telling you, when I, I remember I got back from my 30-day retreat. I have, uh, you know, affectionately been uh, nicknamed at the diocese, the chancery, the vacation director, <clears throat> because I'm constantly gone. <clears throat> they say, you know, you're constantly on vacation. So I did a 30-day silent retreat, which even enhanced that more. And they're like, how was your 30 days of vacation? And I'm like, you know nothing about a 30-day retreat. A 30-day silent retreat is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. You try to be alone for 30 days. And all that crap that you've pushed down starts bubbling up. And you're like, I thought I dealt with all that. And you didn't. You just repressed a lot of it. But in that 30-day silent retreat, I got done. I went to this wedding dance. And I was kind of, you know, I was, I was on like cloud nine. But I was like, I felt like I was going insane. Just, you know, and I'm like trying to. And all, a lot of my high school buddies were there. And then I was trying to explain to them what I had done. And they're like, I, like, you were just quiet for 30 days. And I'm like, yeah. I was like, I was talking to God. And they're like, you talk to God? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, what'd he say? <laughs> you know, like, like these guys, and, but I, I wasn't picking it up at the time. I was just so in the zone. I was just like, oh man. And I'm like explaining the whole retreat. So it goes on and on. Well, we leave and my brother, <clears throat> who you guys know is a priest, we're walking out and he looks at me and he's like, you know, they think you're crazy. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I was like, I was totally evangelizing those guys. He's like, no, they, they think you talk to yourself for 30 days. And I think, if, I think the vast majority of people, that's what they think that, that prayer kind of is, is, is just me talking to myself. And it's not. It's so much, so much deeper than that. But we have to remember, we can't make prayer happen. You can't make prayer happen. John, in his first letter, it says, God loved us first. God makes the initial movement, not you. The only thing you do is show up. <laughs> like you literally just show up. I've been learning more and more and more. And I forgot the card. I was going to bring it over, but you guys have probably seen it. Cause I handed it out at the church, this surrender novena <clears throat> that, that most of prayer, like 99% of prayer is surrender, like not trying to do something. And I know that sounds so counterintuitive to us, right? If I'm going to, if I'm going to pray, I, get, I, I remember I was like, just give me my 12 step program to holiness. Once I got that, I'll just follow it. You know? I got a rigid steel will. If I just got my 12 steps, I'll get to the top of the mountain and I'll be a saint. It'll be great. It doesn't work that way. But it's so hard for us to understand that because all of us, when we, in order to accomplish something, we set up, right, the, the, the steps and then we do it and we accomplish it and we feel good about ourselves. So we take that and we apply it to prayer. And prayer does not work that way. It just doesn't work that way. There's this, there's this beautiful uh, line. It's kind of corny, but I like it. Uh, I don't, and some spiritual director said it to me. He's like, you got to remember that we are human beings, not human doings. And it always stuck with me because to be a human being means to what? To be. To be present before the Father. To avail myself. To open myself to receive. The human doing is the American. I just got to do enough, and if I get to that point, I'll get holy. I think I told you this, guy, or this story in, in Mass, but when I was first a seminarian, <clears throat> I was just fired up. You know, I was just ready to take on the world, and I had, like, my 12-step program. And I was doing 
everything, man. I was doing, I was praying every decade of the rosary. This was in one day, every day. I would pray every decade of the rosary, the stations of the cross. I'd have an hour of scripture reading. I would pray all the liturgy of the hours, all seven hours. And I prayed the St. Bridget's devotion, which is 365 days. When I got into seminary about halfway in, my spiritual director was like, you know, we really haven't discussed what you do for prayer. I'm like, let me tell you. So I list all these things and he's like, wow. And I'm like, I know. And he's like, you're, you're amazing. I'm like, I know. Like, I, I, I just felt so good about myself. He's like, I tell you what, uh, you're so amazing. I want you to stop all of it. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you can pray one rosary. And I want you to pray one holy hour every day with one verse of scripture. And I was pissed. I was like 250 days into the St. Bridges devotion. And that comes with a lot of promises, man. And I was like, I'm like, I don't want you to stop that. And he looked at me and he's like, do you think that St. Bridget would want you doing her devotion if all it did was fill you with you? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, everything you told me is about you. It's not about God. And I got, I mean, I was furious. So I go to the chapel. I sit down. Son of Bible. Pissed. Look at him like, I'm not going to the Old Testament. You know, I start Matthew, right? Verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. <laughs> now what? I got an hour to sit with that stupid verse. And that was the point. I was like, what am I supposed to do now? <clears throat> That's the point. You're not supposed to do anything. God's going to do something in you if you let him. But you have to let him. And so it all, it all becomes about relationships. So there's this little acronym. It's very simple. <clears throat> RIM. You can always remember it. <clears throat> and it's, it's a hierarchy. It's how this life works. Okay? The first is relationship. <clears throat> that is the primary thing. Your relationship is, is the most important thing. That will lead into I, which is identity. <clears throat> So my relationship will give me my identity. Tell me who I am. And then that will give me my mission. <clears throat> so the how this works in the Christian life, my relationship with God tells me that I'm his beloved son. That's my identity. If I'm his beloved son, anything that's coming at me is for my good. Be that good or ill. It's coming from the hands of the Father. And if I'm the beloved Son and I understand that I am the beloved Son of the Father, having this identity, then I'm able to remain in relationship. And out of that gives me my mission. So if you're living your relationship, you have your identity, then God can tell you what your mission is. Not you. I remember all, all of my high school kids, every year, I would say, I, you go down the line, I'm like, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? You know, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a scientist. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a chemist. All the way down, I'm like, all right. Have any of you ever asked God what he wants you to be? None of them. Every year, none of them. So what they're doing is they're, they're putting this in reverse. I got to figure out my mission, what my work is in this life, and out of that, I'll get my identity, and from my identity, I'll form my relationships. Classic example. Mission. Doctor. I want to be a doctor. What's your identity? Doctor. Who are your friends? Doctors. The problem with running it in reverse, does anybody see the, the, just the, the really self-evident problem right away? What would be the, what, what would be the evident problem? Well, there's no God in that. Good, okay. But even more than that. <clears throat> about me. It's about me. 
Just think about the mission. <clears throat> What's going to happen to the doctor? Is he always going to be a doctor? Once the, once the mission's done... The you got it. Once the mission's shot, the identity fails, relationships go to hell. That's why people have midlife crises. Or that's why when you get, you get somebody that has, no, that has no relationship with the father and they're all work, when they get done, they can't stop. Cloud's an example? Like Bon Jovi. Seriously, Bon Jovi's mission? Rocker. Identity? Rocker. Relationship? Friends with rockers. He can't sing anymore. But guess what he's still doing? He's still touring. He can't stop. I'll give you a... Monsignor Richter has one of the best stories about this. Richie Sambora is the lead guitarist for Bon Jovi. He was out in California on vacation with this guy, and they met Richie in this restaurant. And Richie is a, was a cradle Catholic. You know, he's not so much anymore. But <clears throat> he was a cradle Catholic, and he, they were priests. And he's like, he just wanted to talk to him. And they were talking, talking, talking. And he's like, and they're like, finally, they're like, and they're telling him all about their lives and all this. And he's like, he's like, Richie, tell me about your, what's your life like? Oh, he's like, oh man, for like six months, dude, I'm a God. I am a God. He's like, we're on tour. And he's like, and they're like, yeah, well, what about the other six months? And he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm drunk or on pills most days. He's like, I don't sleep well. He's like, it's really dark, but I live for the six months that I'm a God. That's all, that's all in reverse. There's no way that that man has any peace in his life. Does he have lots of money, lots of success, lots of fame, a lot of notoriety? Sure. But his heart is a mess. It's an absolute mess. And we get this, this whole relationship identity mission from the gospel that I just read. Matthew chapter 3. Okay? The baptism. Jesus is in relationship with the Father. What does the Father say to him at his, at his baptism? You are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And they listen to him. What's his mission? I'm the beloved son. My mission now is to die for the world. And he does it. What happens? Let's see how good you are with your Bibles. What happens in Matthew chapter 4? Right after Matthew chapter 3. Desert. Mm-hmm. Good. That's impressive. Most people don't know that. What happens in the desert? <clears throat> tempted. What's he tempted with? Power. Wrong. Wrong. Fame. Wrong. These are the, I, I mean, you're, 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 you got the story right, but it's wrong. <clears throat> In those temptations, he says, remember he says, take the bread, turn, you know, he's like, I love the, the he's like, Jesus fasted for 40 days at the end of which he was hungry. <laughs> you know, like that's, like the, that's the worst line of the Bible. Like he was freaking ravenous, right? Is what I should have said. <clears throat> and in there, it says the devil comes to him. And he says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now, when you think about it, you're saying, oh, he's being tempted with pleasure, right? Food. That's not the temptation. The temptation is if. The devil is trying to get him to doubt this. Because if he can doubt this, guess what happens? The mission changes. And it's what he does to every single human being on this planet. He gets you to doubt your identity. God doesn't really love you. If he loved you, you wouldn't have lost your job. If he loved you, your mother wouldn't be dying. If he loved you, you'd be making more money. You'd have more pleasure. You'd have more power. You'd have more honor. God doesn't love you. And that's why Jesus, in each of the temptations, goes back to the identity. Don't tempt the Father. <laughs> 
You got to live on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. He goes back to this every time. Why? Because that keeps him in his identity. And so what, the, the, so what happens is when the devil comes to you, you shouldn't have lost your job. If God loves you, you shouldn't have lost your job. So what should you do in that moment? Get into relationship. Go talk to God. God, why did I lose my job? Quick, quick story. <clears throat> so when I, was, I, uh, I first got my car, I had, not my truck, I, I bought a brand new Subaru Legacy. It's my first car I'd ever bought. I was all pumped and took it home and I blessed it because I was a total pagan, right? Because I'm like, if I bless it, nothing bad will ever happen to it. <clears throat> so I blessed it and I said this prayer. I'm like, Jesus, I never want this to become a possession. So like, whatever you need to do, that's fine to, to help me be released from the attachment to it. Amen. And then I went over to my best buddy's house and I bought pizza for all the kids. I was so pumped with my new car. Kids are like, Fun Wolves is the best, right? <laughs> We're sitting there and eating pizza and I got my new car and I'm all pumped up. <clears throat> and then uh, his wife was like, hey, I have to, I have to leave. Uh, to go, she had to go to choir practice. And she goes out, kind of gone for a little bit, comes back in. She's like, Father, your car's behind mine. Can I move it? And I was like, ah. and, and my buddy's like, detachment. And I'm like, fine. <laughs> so I, <clears throat> I take the keys and I throw it to her. I'm like, yeah. I was like, go ahead, wreck it. Do whatever you want with it. <clears throat> So apparently she backs it out, whatever, comes back in, gives her the keys and leaves. About 10 minutes later, his, his phone rings and she is like bawling. Like, you know, and you can hear it. It's so loud. You can hear it. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on? He's like, oh yeah, no, no, he'll understand. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like what do you mean I'll understand? <clears throat> and he's like, no, he's a priest. No, he has insurance. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I'm like, Doug, what the hell is going on? So he hangs up the phone. He's like, um, you remember that like detachment thing? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, we better go outside. So here what had happened is she had backed out and hit my car. Because I was on, there was, it was, the driveway was kind of a slant, so she couldn't see me. I walked out. I had owned my car less than 24 hours. And the front hood was just buckled straight up. Like I had to drive home, you know, like the Ace Ventura, you know, because <clears throat> I couldn't see out the front of the car. I got home and I just went to the chapel relationship and I'm just like, what the hell, Lord? I blessed it. <laughs> you know, like, how could you let this happen? And I remember just, I just sat there for like an hour and there was this, just kind of this slow revelation that just came to me. And basically it was God just saying, he said, you never wanted it to be a possession. So he's like, I ruined it right away. Now, you can sit back and you'd be like, okay, yeah, you're talking to yourself, just trying to make yourself feel better. It wasn't. I'm telling you, when, when that movement came inside, I didn't think of that. It came to me. And then all of a sudden, I was just like, totally released. I get it, Lord. Uh, you're, 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 you know, you're, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <clears throat> you know, you're taking your son and you're disciplining him a little bit. I get it. And this happens all the time. I, I can give you guys a thousand stories in my priesthood of how this has happened. In my life of how God has worked through good, bad, everything, man. Everything. But you have, so, so it's all about relationship. But there's, then there's this acronym called ARRR. It's R. So you never forget, it's like the pirate prayer they call it. Okay. <clears throat> so... In order for you to understand this, to keep this the way it needs to be kept, the first, I am convinced, everybody's got, you know, different priests and different things. For me, the first one is the most important, okay? 
aware. <clears throat> you have to be aware of what's going on in your heart. You guys, it is so important to understand this. Prayer, when we pray, we are not trying to figure out a what. What am I supposed to do? When we pray, we are trying to figure out a who. Who am I listening to? <clears throat> there are three voices that go on in your head. <laughs> Four, maybe even arguably. God's, the devil's, the world, right? Which is all of the, the influence you have from the culture and your own. In any given moment, <clears throat> who are you listening to? That is the most important thing. And in order to do that, you have to be aware that this dialogue is going on in your head. If you're not aware of it, you'll never move on to the rest of the acronym. <clears throat> and I just get classic little stupid things, right? I'm driving. So my new car, got my new car. I'm driving and I was at Spirit of Life at the time. And every time I went to, I drove home, I drove past the Subaru dealership. Well, about a month into it, I'm like, look, and I'm like, man. Maybe I shouldn't have got a legacy, <clears throat> right? It's a dialogue going on in my head. Maybe I was like, maybe I should have got something like a Tribeca or something you know, big. And, and then all of a sudden, boom, I'm aware. And I'm like, this is stupid. I have a brand new car. <laughs> Lord, thank you for the car. It's that simple. That's how this stuff works. And when we go to prayer, we look at our date. Take 15 minutes at the end of your day and you say, okay, where was I in line with the father? Where was I listening to the devil? Where did I follow my own self? Lord, I'm sorry for the times that I missed your voice. I want to follow your voice. Thank you for the ones that I did follow. Help me to do better tomorrow. St. Ace of Loyola called this prayer the examine. Okay, it's not an examination of conscience, which is what we do before we go to confession. It's called the examine. You examine your life. He said it is the most important thing anyone does in a given day. And Ignatius, I just, it may sound crazy, like, it's more important than the mass, it's more important than the rosary, it's more important than anything. You should do the examine, because the examine constantly builds your awareness. <clears throat> and that's why Ignatius was so impartial to everything. I don't know if you know this story, but, so he's the, just so you know, Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, the Jesuits are like, they were the kingpin order, now they're completely crazy, <clears throat> unfortunately. But I've never, Jesuits are either amazing or like batshit crazy. <laughs> like there's no in between with the Jesuits. They are either just geniuses, Yodas of the spiritual life, or they are supporting abortion, uh, euthanasia, whatever, in vitro fertilization, homosexuality. They're so split. But they used to be what they were founded for was to counter the Reformation. They were founded, Ignatius founded the Jesuits so that they would, in essence, preach the truth. And they were, a, they were for the record, they were a badass order for a lot of years until the 60s hit, <laughs> which is when it, which Bishop Kagan calls the stupid period of the church. Right? That's when all, everything kind of fell apart. But he said in order to, he, he had this indifference, he called it, spiritual indifference. And he was in it, he fought with this one cardinal. And I can't remember his name and I, but he had to, he, they did not have a good relationship. And because Ignatius was very, you know, orthodox, his cardinal was a little crazy. This cardinal ended up becoming pope. And Ignatius knew at that moment, 
that this guy could suppress the Jesuits like that, which means disband the order. They said in his biography, they said he went into a room and prayed for 15 minutes and he came out and he said, whatever God wants, I'm fine with it. <clears throat> That's freedom. That's freedom. <clears throat> Take it, you, you put it into your own life, right? Something happens where you're, you're arguing with a, a business partner and they, they screw you big time. And it may, it's going to make you look terrible. What are you going to do? You going to get pissed at him? You going to try to take him down? Or are you going to have the holy indifference to say, Lord, whatever. I'm your, I'm your beloved son. I trust you. <clears throat> now, the example I want to give you from my own life is what has happened at this school. Because the Lord has taught me this, this past year more than ever about surrender, about indifference. Because there's a lot of crazy stuff that happened, right? I, I non-renewed two people. That's essentially all I did. Non-renewed two people. After that, nine people resigned. At that point, I just went to the chapel and I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I felt called to do this. I felt that this was your will. And now I have a gong show. I don't know any principles. I don't know any teachers. I don't even know how this hiring process thing works. I was the vocation director. I was good at helping guys discern if they're called to the priesthood or not. Not take care of a full-blown school. And a daycare, which was falling apart. And it's not like all these people resigned and the school was in like the best case scenario. All these people resigned and the school was in the worst case scenario. And I remember I just said, I, and that's why that's surrender novena. I started praying that nonstop. Jesus, I, I can't do this. You take care of it. I don't, I, 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 this, is, this has got to be your will. I'm just going to sit here. And every time I tried to do something, every time, there's a couple times we put out applications, the people that came in, terrible. <laughs> they were awful. As soon as they walked in, I'm like, I'm not hiring this person. But the more I just surrendered and surrendered and surrendered and stayed aware, you have no idea the anger that was in my heart, gentlemen. The frustration that was in my heart. The desire inside of me to just like take control and bulldoze it. Like it was just, I mean, just rage at night in my chapel. Rage. And I'm like, Lord, you have to take this. I know if I try to do this, it's gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy the whole thing. And then little by little by little, things just started falling in place. People just started calling. It was unbelievable. You know, like I've said numerous times, the fact that we have two PhDs running our school right now. How do you, how do you explain that? I'm not that good. <laughs> like, I'm just not. I can't convince two PhDs to leave the university academia and come to a grade school. But you know who can? God can. And as I was listening to the father, so was Dr. Fleischacker. And he had an amazing Lent. If you ever want to ask him sometime what happened during Lent. It's amazing. You want to talk about surrender? That's surrender too. And, it, and why? I don't, I don't know why it's set up this way. I think just because that's how, faith is, that's how faith grows. Faith doesn't grow when I know what's going to happen and I can make it happen. Faith grows when I look out and I'm like, I have no freaking clue what I'm supposed to do. You have to do something. And he does it. And like I said, there's a, there's a beautiful indifference in me. Even if this whole thing doesn't work. I believe so strongly that this is all from God 
that I'm, I'm just detached. I'm totally detached. And it's been a beautiful, beautiful thing. But the only way it works is if you remain aware. You have to realize what's going on inside of you. And that is so hard because we just kind of plow through our day without ever thinking about what's going on up here. <clears throat> and then once you have the awareness, then you relate it. <clears throat> so I take whatever's going on inside of me and I tell Jesus about it. Now, you can sit back and be like, Father, I was expecting to receive more tonight from this, this talk on prayer. This is prayer. This is when you have your identity as a beloved son. Think about children. They try to do it and try to do it and try to do it. And they just get so pissed until finally dad comes and says, do you want me to help you with that? Or they come and say, daddy, help. Then the father comes and teaches the child how to do it. And then the child understands from that point on how to do it. So are you a beloved son or not? <clears throat> That's the question. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that? So we take whatever we're aware of, we relate it to God. Now, the classic example of uh, <clears throat> relate, uh, relating is Mary at the Annunciation, right? Angel comes and says, you're going to be the mother of God. She isn't like, all right. <laughs> you know, like... No problem. You know, what does she do? She takes the message and she relates it. How is this going to come about? It's the first movement of Mary's heart. How is this going to come about? So when you have these movements inside of you, how do you, what do you do? What do you do with them? You take them all and you give them to Jesus. I know it sounds so simple, but prayer is supposed to be simple. What God wants to do more than anything in your life and my life is provide. But he can't do it unless you trust him. And he's going to tell you to do crazy stuff. The classic example is the wedding feast of Cana. <clears throat> right? They run out of booze, come to Jesus. Jesus says, uh, and Mary said, remember Mary's line? Do whatever he tells you. What's the first thing he tells him to do? Anybody remember? Fill the water jugs. Fill the water jugs. You know what those water jugs are used for? Yeah, washing your feet. You know, back in the day, they didn't have Nikes, right? They wore sandals. And so when they washed their feet, it was disgusting. That's why they had slaves wash your feet. Those Jewish ceremonial washing bins are full of the most putrid, nasty-ass water that exists at that wedding feast. And Jesus says, oh, take those and fill them up. It's like if I said, you know, go to the toilet. Bring me seven toilets. After somebody just took a dump, bring me seven toilets, fill them with water. But they do it. And that's when the miracle happens. He's going to ask you to do crazy things. He's going to ask you to step out. Right? Peter walking on water. It's one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. Right? Peter's like, it's such a, I love praying through the biblical scenes. Like, I just use my imagination to, and put myself, like, I'm one of the apostles in the boat. You know, I'm like, we're like bailing water, you know, just because the imagination is a faculty that we only have. So it must be there for some really, really, you know, there's, there's purpose in it. And anyway, and so I see Peter and he's like, so he's like, it's the Lord. And he's like, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus is like, come. And Peter's like, Rick, 
<laughs> I didn't think he was really going to tell me to come. But Peter gets out. How many of you would get out of that boat? It's this raging storm. Your boat's about to be capsized. And you literally get out and you're gonna, with, the, with the belief, the faith, that I can actually do what he's doing. That's unbelievable. And there's, a, you know, a couple of years ago, I kind of, I, I was thinking about this too. Do you ever think how far he walked? We don't know how far Jesus was away from him. He was obviously barely recognizable because somebody's like, it's the Lord. You know, like, I think it's the Lord. It looked. So how far did Peter walk? Well, he must have walked a ways. How do we know he walked a ways? Because when he sinks, what does it say? Jesus reached out. Jesus reached out and grabbed him. He was that close to getting to the Lord. He almost made it. Why didn't he make it? <clears throat> because he started to focus on everything around him that he couldn't control. That's all the voices, all the stuff that's going on inside of you. And that's why few people walk on water. And walking on water could be anything in your life. Stuff that you're not, you don't think you can do that you actually do. Why do the saints do what they do? Because they're so in relationship with the Lord that they're a conduit. Essentially, why is Peter walking on water? Can human beings walk on water? No. So how is Peter doing it? Jesus is doing it in him. That means that the, the, the divine life is within him, causing him to do something that he can't normally do. And we can do this too. In a variety of different ways. But you have to, you have to relate. You have to be aware. Once you're aware of it, you have to relate. I have a, my, my spiritual director, her name is Trudy McCaffrey. Some people are shocked when I tell them I have a woman spiritual director. But we call her the Velvet Hammer. <clears throat> because she's like this 80-year-old woman, and she will destroy you. Like, <laughs> I mean, she, she directs cardinals and bishops, and, like, and she, she is not afraid to call you out on anything. And she has this little thing. She, she wears a shawl. She stopped wearing shawls because we figured it out. Because whenever she, she'd be like, talk, or we'd be talking, and all of a sudden she'd like pull the shawl up, and you're like, oh, frick. <laughs> Here comes something, right? But her big thing is, is she's like, whenever I'm talking about, you know, I'm struggling with this and this, she's like, well, did you tell Jesus about it? I'm like, no. She's like, why not? And I'm like, I don't know, because I'm an idiot. We talk about this every time. Like, why don't I? I should. That's what relating is. Is simply being, constantly telling him what's wrong in your life, what you desire in your life, and then letting him work, letting him do it. The relating thing is not a one-time event either. We have to do it over and over and over again. So I'll give you just a, uh, this is, uh, again, I'm on senior Richterism. Great little story, right? He talks about, <clears throat> about this relating thing. So he said, it's kind of a stupid analogy, but it works, okay? So he said, I'm sitting here and I got my foot out, you know, I'm talking to guys like this. And all of a sudden, <clears throat> a 500-pound rock falls through the ceiling and lands directly on my foot, okay? doesn't break my foot, but I can't get my foot. I'm like, I'm stuck, you know? And if it's, it gets weirder, right? Right at that moment, through that door, walks a man with a shirt on that says, 500-pound rock-lifting champion of the world, okay? <laughs> now, in this moment, there's a few things I can do, okay? I can try to push the rock off, which I'll never be able to do. I could make a list of pros and cons about what it's like having a rock on your foot for the rest of your life versus not having a rock on your foot. I can go into a pity party. You know, 500-pound rocks always fall on my feet, right? Or I can do the one sane thing, which is what? Ask the guy, the guy, the 500-pound rock lifting champion, to move it. 
So the things in your life that you can't control, what is the, what is the evident answer to that? Who should you go to? The one that can do something about it. Now, here's the only catch. <laughs> okay, there's a catch. The analogy breaks down. If I say to the 500 round pot, if you haven't figured this out yet, that's Jesus, right? In the analogy. Okay. So anyway, if I say to him, I say, could you please move this rock off my foot? And he says, no. That then I must believe in faith that for this moment, for this, that it is better that this rock is on my foot. That's what you had. You know, people come to me and they're like, you know, why, why, you know, the, uh, like I, there was a car accident a, a year ago and, and this, the mom came up and like the, the kid totally survived, you know? And he's like, why did this happen? Why did this happen? I'm like, well, maybe if this wouldn't have happened and he was driving further on, he would have been T-boned and killed. We don't know, man. When we look at this world, we look like this. My life, my wants, my wishes, my desire. We're not thinking way big scheme of things, which God is thinking. So relating is of the utmost importance. Next. I better hurry up. Receive. <clears throat> Pope Benedict XVI said prayer, who I think is one of the smartest men to ever live, Pope Benedict XVI, he said prayer is pure receptivity of God's grace. Prayer is pure receptivity of God's grace. <clears throat> but here is the catch. This is the Christian catch. There's always a catch in Christianity. Receiving happens most effectively in your weakest area. <clears throat> and when I mean weakest area, I mean that thing in your life that you were just like, man, if that would go away, I'd be a saint. Whatever that is, we all have them. Some of us have, you know, we're loaded with them. But that's where God wants to pour out pure grace. And why does it have to happen there? Because that is the only place that you can't do anything. So whatever that sin is, you struggle with anger, let's say, and you blow up on your children. You can't fix that. You can try what we call white knuckling, I just said, I'm not going to get pissed tonight, you know? And that doesn't work. Willpower doesn't work. What happens is, is in that area where all your struggle is, the only thing you can do is turn and say to the 500-round pound left champion of the world, do something, please. And then it's about receiving his grace. And this takes time. And it's not easy. And where it happens is in silence. And it's something that most men in particular hate. They hate silence. And before the Blessed Sacrament, <clears throat> St. John Vianney said that he would pray for hours and hours and hours. One of the parishioners said to him, he said, what are you doing? He's like, I'm praying. He's like, yeah, but what's going on in your prayer? And he's like, I look at him and he looks at me. <laughs> you know, like, you're thinking John Vianney, you're going to go, oh, okay, woo. Okay, you know, like, but that's it. And in that, in that relationship, he is healing all types of stuff. If you're, allow, if, if you're willing to give it to him. But in order to receive, you have, it takes a tremendous amount of rejecting. Because where God is trying to, that weak area, where God's trying to pour all of his love and mercy and grace into, is the exact same spot that the devil is pouring his lies and his malice into. You'll never get over this. This is who you are. 
That's what he's trying to, you are an angry asshole. That's you. And you're never going to get any better. He's trying to get your identity to shift. So then what happens? I'm a mess. If my identity's a mess, I'm a mess. And that's why we keep going back. No, Lord, I'm your beloved son. You can do all things. You know, one of, one of my favorite stories is, is how do we say that? I, I love a lot of stories in the Bible, right? Kind of all my favorites, but is, is Lazarus. The raising of Lazarus. And I love the scene when he comes up and he, he gets before the tomb. It's the shortest, here's your Bible trivia, the shortest sentence in the Bible. Jesus wept. Now, why did he weep? And there's also, it says, sometimes the Bible translations, I just wish they would do like, an equivalent translation, even if it looks weird so we can get the actual words. He, it says, he says, he came to the tomb and he was perturbed. What the hell does that mean? He was perturbed. What it means, the, 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 the Greek word, is it, mean, it says, the actual translation is his guts wrenched. He's not perturbed. He's furious. Like furious, furious. And why is he mad? I think he's mad for a couple reasons. Number one, he hates death. Never was supposed to be part of the plan. He hates it. He hates the fact that those he loves are suffering. But most of all, he hates the fact that everybody around him, even his closest friends, Martha and Mary, think that he's met his match. They say it. If you would have come, you could have done something. And he looks at him and says, I not tell you, I am the resurrection and the life. Right? I love that. It's, it, even before I said, did I not say you'll see your brother again? She says, yes, I believe, Lord, at the resurrection of, you know, I will see him. And he's like, I am the resurrection. You think that this is it? You think this is over? You know what you wanted, all of you here? You want me to do a nice little, uh, you know, miracle of healing. You know what I want to do for my best friends? The best miracle in the entire Bible. But you know what I had to do in order for that to happen? I had to let him die. You don't believe. None of you do. That's why his guts are just wrenching. These are his closest friends. Do you see how this, this whole thing is working? That if I truly believe my identity is the beloved son, then whatever happens, I'm, I'm sticking with the Lord. I'm not leaving. Even though I fall on my face a thousand times, I'm getting back up, I'm going to confession, I'm starting over. Because I know who I am. So in order to receive, you have to reject the lies. One of the things, just, just a real quick uh, understanding of the devil. If you want to understand the devil's voice, he has, he has two names in, in, in Greek. Ho diabolos, or diabaline, which means the one who breaks apart, or the one that scatters. So you think about it, think about your own families, right? What happens most of the time, there's division, there's a wedge that's put in, and it, sp- it splits apart the family. That's the enemy, Right? So, and then the other one is, is Satana, right? Satan. And that word means the accuser. If you want to know nine times out of ten the devil's voice in your head, it's an accusation. You're a loser. You're not a, you're not a good dad. You're not providing. You're, you're pathetic. Think how much better you could be. You're not as good as your friend. You're not your dad. It's all these accusations, right? And if we can be aware when the accusation comes, what he's trying to do is kill our identity. 
you're a loser, you're, you're, you're a failure, you're, you don't provide. You don't. That's all trying to say you're not a beloved son. And he wants you to buy into that and say, this is who I am. Because once you lose your identity, you've lost everything. But how do you retain your identity? By staying in a relationship. But so few people pray anymore. That's the problem. So few people are relating. So few people actually read the scriptures. You know, St. Jerome said ignorance of uh, the scriptures is ignorance of Jesus Christ. You don't know the Bible. You don't know the Lord. How can you? That's his word. And receiving you guys, receptivity comes from an ever-present need for God. We have to understand that, that we're nothing without him. We're nothing without him. When I was, uh, <clears throat> I, so I had this year, my first year as vocation director, and receiving can be a pain in the ass. Because sometimes you don't want to receive what he's trying to give. But I was my first year of vocation director, I called it my trophy year. <clears throat> okay? Because I'm an, I'm an arrogant guy. I don't know if you guys know that. I'm working on it, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm an arrogant guy. So I call it my trophy year because that first year, I had 14 men enter the seminary in one year. Unheard of. I don't even think it's ever happened in the history of the diocese. 14 men in one year. <clears throat> I caught a trophy smallmouth bass. I published my Lighthouse Catholic Media CD of my vocation story. And I shot the biggest deer of my life. Okay? So I was on cloud nine. I'm like, man, I am having a trophy year. I heard that country song, a record year, right? <clears throat> so anyway, I went on retreat. God speaks to me most, mostly on retreat. And for the record, gentlemen, you should do a retreat. I mean, even if it's a couple days out at the Abbey. I mean, if we, you know, if we want to organize something like that and I lead it, I'm totally open to that. But we need to, and it's in silence. We're not drinking beer in the evenings. We're not eating pizza. We're not talking. We're coming to conferences and we're praying three holy hours a day. Stuff like that. That's what's going to start. That's what's going to change the church. That's what's going to change the world. Anyway, I was in my retreat, and I remember <clears throat> my director said, I want you to pray two holy hours right away, because I told her about my trophy year, Trudy. And she's like, great, this is awesome. I want you to pray two. I, I want you to pray, number one, on how the devil sees this year, and I want you to pray, number two, on how God sees this year. So I was like, well, I should, I should probably pray with the devil first, just in case. <clears throat> you know, so I'm like sitting there and I, it was just like this, like, I was, I was just happy the whole holy hour because it was all about me. I didn't even, I was not in that hour. I was not aware of what was going on. The enemy was feeding me ego. So then I, I, I go into my holy hour with, with God and it's dark. I mean, it is dark, pitch black, nothing. I was so dry, nothing. And that's, that's irritating as a priest, when you're like, God, how did you see this year? And it's darkness, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, I'm like, wow, you know, I was probably just distracted or whatever. So I go back to my room and I'm sitting in my room and all of a sudden I, uh, I'm just, you know, getting ready for bed. It was like nine o'clock. And I just, this voice, not audible, but like interior was like, go shoot hoops. I'm like, shoot. cause there was a gym there. And I'm like, shoot hoops. I don't want to shoot hoops. I'm like, whatever. So I grab a book. So just so, just so you know, when God starts talking to you, you get scared, you get, pick up a book, right? I just got to distract myself, right? <clears throat> so I'm trying to read, I'm trying to read, and I just, 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 this overwhelming sense, go shoot hoops, go shoot hoops. It just keeps coming. And usually God speaks to me in threes, right? The first one is, is the Holy Spirit, right? Kind of the, ins the inspiration, go shoot hoops. Then it's the son. He's like, come on, dude, go do it. You know, the encourager. And then it's the father. 
And it's like, get your ass out of the chair and go shoot hoops. You know, like, so I get, I, I'm like, fine. So, and this is funny. Cause I, I didn't really have any workout gear. So I'm in like a white t-shirt, my shorts. I had to wear my black shoes and black socks. So I look like a moron. Right. And I'm like walking over to the gym. I get to the gym. I'm like, it's probably going to be locked or something's going on inside. So open up the door and sure it's open. I'm like, dang it. So I go inside and there's one other guy in there <clears throat> and it's this guy from India. And I thought I looked like a moron. Like this dude, he's in dress pants, bow tie, tucked in shirt, glasses, dress shoes. And he is balling. Like he is going to town, but he's so terrible. Like I, I was just laughing. I'm like, this is hilarious. Like there was, he was like just dribbling as fast. At one point he tripped and fell on the ball one flying. Tried to do a layup and it was like one of these like, <laughs> like the ball goes flying. He didn't make a shot, but he was just like, just given everything he had and i'm like shooting three pointers, and i'm like laughing i'm like lord i don't know why you brought me here but this is great <laughs> and and all of a sudden it was just he very clearly said well that that's you and i'm like whoa what's <laughs> the time out here what do you mean that's me and he's like well that's how i see you in this past year I'm like what like a bumbling idiot <laughs> he's like i'm like i don't know if you know this but in the Diocese of Bismarck uh, Priest basketball team, I'm like starting guard. So, you know, and he's like, no, that's you. And then once the Lord, once I'm aware and the Lord is like, I'm in connection, then the dialogue just happens. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, he's like, those 14 guys, how many of them did you actually like, you know, guide into the seminary? And I'm like, well, most of them just called me. And he's like, and then, and then the Lord's kind of playful too. You know, he's like, and what about that trophy bass? I'm like, yeah, we were fishing for walleye. (laughs) And and he's like the deer. I'm like, I just came over a hill and it was there and it was illegal too. (laughs) And he's like, and the vocation story. Oh, that was all you. Like, actually that story is all about what you did to me. And he's like, you don't have to prove anything to me. You're my son. And it was one of the most beautiful retreats I've ever had. And what the Lord is always doing in those times is he's moving me back, keeping me back into relationship. And when he does that, life gets so beautiful. The last one then, very quickly, is respond. Right? So I'm aware of what's going on. I relate from it. I receive back to the, I, I receive whatever the Father's trying to give me. And then I change something in my life. I do something different. All right. It's very, again, these are very simple. Um, there's not a lot to say with respond. <laughs> you just respond. You do what he's asking of you. There's a lot of things probably right now, gentlemen, that you know the Lord has been asking of you for a long time and you haven't done. Or you know you should do better. Right? And if you get into, if you get into relationship and you have your identity as beloved son, you're going to have your mission as most of you are father. Right? And then out of that, he's going to make you into a saint by being aware of everything that's going on in your life, relating it back to him so he takes care of it, receiving whatever he wants to give you out of that moment, and then you turn and respond. And it's this constant cyclical pattern. I mean, this is the last story. I went way longer than I thought. (laughs) Always happens with me. So just to kind of give you a a clear indication, Deacon James Keating is one, I think, is one of the greatest men I know. Uh, He's... He's a genius. He's a Yoda of the spiritual life. He's an incredible father. Um, just, a, just a good dude. He told this story about him and his wife. 
his, about five years into his marriage, <clears throat> he was working on his doctorate. And uh, he would just get up really early in the morning, you know, kiss his wife goodbye. He's like, I love you. And he'd like tiptoe out. And then he'd come back really late, grab something quick to eat, get to bed. And he just, was, just kept going and going and going. One morning he got up <clears throat> and his wife was like, as he's tiptoeing out, she, she's like, Jim. And he's like, yeah, what, what's up? She's like, I want you home today at 5 p.m. And he's like, but my doctorate. And he's like, Jim, either you're home at 5 p.m. and we talk for one hour or I will not be here. And he's like, and because I'm a little afraid of my wife, I decided to show up. <laughs> and he's like, and I, I sat down at the table and she had a bowl of pretzels and his drink, a seven and seven. And uh, he said, I sat there like this the entire time. And he just blah, blah, blah. She's like, I, he's, I don't know what the hell she said. <laughs> she just talked and talked and talked and talked for about 15, 20 minutes. And then she turned and she said, so Jim, how, how was your day? And he's like, well, I didn't get to work on my doctorate as long as I would have liked. And she's like, really? He's like, yep. He's like, nothing else? No. She's like, okay, I guess we're done. He's like, I thought you said we're going to talk for an hour. She's like, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to make you talk. He's like, fine, whatever. He gets up, and as he's walking away, she's like, Jim, tomorrow, 5 p.m., either you're here or I'm not. And he said, after three weeks of this going on, I ate a pretzel. And he said, after two months, I took a sip of my drink. He said, and after 25 years, I'm more in love with that woman than I ever could have imagined. And why? She got it. And he eventually got it too. And out of that, he got his identity. It's not Dr. James Keating. It's, he's a dad. He's a, he's a husband. And out of that, he found his mission. And now, he's doing amazing things with the backing of his wife. So it's, it's, it's just beautiful how this stuff works. But we always throw it in reverse. <clears throat> and we're never aware of what's going on. So my encouragement to you, work on these two, okay? Work on these two, aware of what's going on and then immediately relating it. It will change a lot of things in your life, I promise you. And then don't take control, which is about the hardest thing that we do. Don't take control. Say, all right, Lord, take care of it and see what happens. It's a wild ass ride and it makes for the greatest stories. It really does. People always tell me, like, Father, you have such great stories. And I'm like, that's ah, because I've been through a gong show of a life, you know, <laughs> trying to learn how to surrender. I can tell you uh, 10, 15 more stories about this where the Lord has taught me. But you got to pray, you got to be aware, and you got to relate. <clears throat> and the only way that that happens is if you're in a relationship. So 15 minutes a day. I always tell people, like, I can't do 15 minutes a day. I'm like, listen, I'm vocation director. I have a school. I have a parish. I have a daycare. And I pray an hour a day. I think you can get 15 minutes in. 15 minutes. If that's a prayer corner at your house, great. If you can make it at the church, even better. Daily mass. If you can get to daily mass, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. How can't it? If you're starting out your day by receiving God. How can that not have an effect on you? So, that's all I got. Let's say a quick prayer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, 
world without end. Amen. And the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. One last quote. Jacques Philippe, he's kind of a contemporary writer right now. He had this great quote. It says, it's not that life has too many problems. It's that people lack faith. I love that. When your stress levels are going up, your prayer should be going up. St. Francis de Sales said every Christian in order to be called a Christian needs to pray at least a half hour every day. Unless they're crazy busy, then they got to pray an hour. Because he knew when, when all the stress went up, your relationship has to go up. So, good. Thank you, Father. You bet. Be patient. It takes time. But it's a beautiful way to live. I'll tell you that much.